From 12 News, this is Newsmakers. Welcome to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White alongside 12 News Politics Editor Ted Nisi. Our guest this week is Rhode Island Commerce Secretary Stephen Pryor. Mr. Secretary, it's good to see you. Welcome back to the it's show. Great to be back, Tim and Ted. I looked uh, at the last time you were here, and it was May 2020, as we were talking prior to the show. You had to be live from the State House because yes. things were really clamped down at that point. Correct. Um, and, you know, looking back at the questions, and we were talking a lot about the virtual meetings you were having with different business sectors, like hairdressers, yes. and talking to them directly about, okay, here's what you can do, here's what you can't do, and laying out a timeline for them. Has that changed for you, or is it still the same right now? Oh, we're still doing a great deal of that because we've been proud of the fact that we've been able to do a, a lot of reopening recently because our public health trends have been good, our conditions have been favorable. So we're dialoguing a lot with industry groups about what's left to be removed from the restrictions to enable them to, to really fulfill what's possible economically. And so those conversations occur with restaurants. You know, how is the table spacing working with these percentages that you're permitted to operate? What can we do for you as the Boy, summer season's opening that is so granular, up? isn't it? I mean, that sort of operational stuff, when before you were taking such a nebulous, broad look about growing the economy and incentives, you're really getting down into table spacing. We really are, both. I mean, both are still occurring, and it's so we, we, we're keeping our eye on the prize. We're ever working for investments that will grow jobs for all, all Rhode Islanders, and we've seen companies like Infosys show substantial growth. We're making major seaport investments for the various industries from fisheries through to offshore wind. But yes, we are also working on table spacing, and it really matters. Like, can I double book in my waiting room at a professional haircut or salon? We, we need to be able to answer those questions. So. Uh, our colleagues uh, Eli Sher Sherman and Tully Taylor had a report this week on the point at which Rhode Island will reach herd immunity. The, mm -hmm. And, and yes. Governor McKee has talked a lot about that 70% mm -hmm. number. And the timeline, as they have reported, really ranges from the end of May to possibly late July. What timeline are you operating under right now? That is the right range. I'll, I'll share this piece of data for you. We're currently estimating that about mid-70s, 78% of Rhode Islanders will have their first shot by mid-May. But is that as, total population of Rhode Islanders that's or 16 eligible? And, and 16 and older eligible Rhode Islanders. Shouldn't that's, it be total population if you're gonna? That's for the public health experts to okay. determine, but what I'll say is that's very good. So we're, we are top four states for, for uh, double vaccination for two shots or, or for J&J, &J, the required first shot in the country. We're fourth best for getting vaccinations into arms here in Rhode Island. And we're at a pace where we're gonna be in the 70s on the indicator I just described. So what does that mean? It's obviously you know, 21 days later for Pfizer to get your second shot. Moderna's different. You get the idea. You can't say that mid-May we're done. It's the first shot. But as you look into the summer, June, July, and beyond, can we start to uh, unleash? Can we uh, flex even more under Governor McKee's plan? Yes, we can, and we're, that's why even for bigger public events that we all love in the outdoors in the summer, Newport Folk and Jazz and other events that wanna happen, we're starting to take an inventory of the events and what their restriction proposal is so we can approve them. We're really excited about it, and I'll tell you, 
the economy is going very strong, even in the midst of the remaining restrictions. Moody's just came out and said that we're above the national average for our percentage of economic activity that's returned, the back to normal index. Connecticut is below the national average, and, and New York and Massachusetts are down at the bottom of the list. So we have economic health right now, and we're loosening up restrictions, and our vaccinations are getting going. It's a very optimistic looking picture. I, I have to ask you, are you worried at all? We've seen a small, I don't want to be alarmist, but you have seen a small uptick, and we're seeing that across the Northeast recently. Yes. You know, as you and the rest of the cabinet, the governor talk about, you know, can we keep on the pace we want to be on? How alarmed do you all feel? Uh, we have to be cautious and disciplined even as we conduct the incremental opening of the economy as Governor McKee has directed us. We feel like we've done the, the responsible job and we've done enough economic reopening that it is boosting the economy to the point where Moody's is praising us. The, the uh, in, increased infection rate that inevitably occurs when you do any reopening is happening. We've seen a 23% case increase over uh, the recent period of three-day averages, so it's the, the last two weeks, 23%, but Connecticut's at 69% increases, Massachusetts is at 37%, so three times ours and shy of two times our case rate growth. The point being, Connecticut ripped off the Band-Aid. Too soon, I think. I think they're fantastic, wonderful state, great leaders. They used to work there. <laughs> uh, they, they went to 100% capacity mm. instantly. I think prematurely, we've stayed at 75% and 50% capacity with a lot of other changes that make it easier to do business responsibly under Governor McKee. That's why we're seeing a little bit of case rate growth, but also dramatic vaccination growth. So we're maintaining an equilibrium, as Dr. Alexander Scott calls it, and we're able to keep that economy open. We never want to go back. Let me ask you, um, I did a report last week about the stimulus money that's coming mm -hmm. in. This is, yes. <laughs> this is the one that's passed, not the infrastructure bill yes. that came out this week. This is the American Rescue Plan Act. Yes. And we're looking at, it looks like, billions of dollars for Rhode Island, right. over a billion to the state and direct aid, to the cities and towns, all sorts of other grant yes. programs. Um, and uh, you know, one of the big questions is wh who will be putting out plans and what plans will be out there for this money? Have you, a bunch of the old money from last year went through commerce, have you started to look at how you might use this new infusion and when we might start to see that? We certainly have. Uh, Governor McKee has pressed into the entire cabinet and said, I need you to start thinking about what projects you already have in the pipeline, what priority projects are emerging that you may not have fully formed yet, what should we be using this money for, and working with Jim Thorson at, at DOA, the new director, the governor's directing that process. In addition, the governor has said to us in commerce and our, our team across the administration, we're going to need to take stakeholder input, stakeholder including the business community, businesses large and small, including nonprofit organizations and residents across Rhode Island. What do we envision for our future? Let's make sure we have direct relief to small businesses, to individuals who are suffering. There's still plenty of challenge. And make investments that over the medium and long term yield growth. So we're going to have this kind of inventorying of our projects in a pipeline, plus a public input process. You may recall that just pre-pandemic, we released a new economic development strategy. We brought in a team. We focused on the ocean economy mm -hmm. as one of our central themes. We haven't forgotten that. We've continued to work towards that. But it's time to double down, especially with the 1.1 billion that the feds are sending us directly, the 113 million more 
directly to Rhode Island for capital projects. And then the new announcements on offshore wind at the federal level that have just occurred. There'll be more money. There's more money for broadband. We need to capitalize upon that by having a refreshed plan that benefits from public input. Let's talk about the other big spending plan, and that was uh, President Biden's infrastructure push called the American Jobs Plan. Yes. You know, roads, bridges, of course, green energy that you touched on. To pay for it, Biden is proposing increasing taxes on corporations, and that is obviously being met with a chilly reception from House Republicans. You undoubtedly support infrastructure spending, or I assume. Are you on board Biden's pitch to pay for it? I've got to analyze that part more my, myself. I will say that I'm very much on board for the $2 trillion plus plan to build infrastructure. And Rhode Island is extraordinarily well positioned with Director Pete Alvide at DOT and all the road and bridge work that's occurring under roadworks. We are ready to deploy. And then there's a possible new seaport at East Providence, improvements at Quonset, improvements at Proport for all of the various maritime trades and the various industries, including offshore wind. We're ready for this. On the tax front, my understanding is, I've got to dive in and, and really understand it to be truthful, but I think they're not returning to the pre-tax cut levels. And I think they're being mindful of international comparisons as to taxation. That's where I want to focus. So when I do my own analysis, that's where I'm going to look. Okay. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about the gubernatorial transition. Uh, first of all, you were undoubtedly the, the closest aide, I would say, or cabinet member for, to Governor Raimondo. Um, you were by her side a lot during her time here. Have you talked to her since she went to Washington, and um, what does she say? I certainly have. I've had the privilege of staying uh, in touch with, with Secretary Raimondo, right, yeah. and I've informed her that the highest possible title she could ever arrive at is secretary, <laughs> uh, and she's, she's doing extremely well. You've seen her. Uh, even in just the media reports, you see how she's in that jobs cabinet that Tim referenced and uh, with that new initiative that, that came out with infrastructure, et cetera. She's clearly influencing policy in a heavy way on our interaction as a nation with China, uh, on the, uh, the chip technology necessary to stay competitive. Yeah, she's spending a ton of time on semiconductors, I've she, noticed, as, the, as I watch the national news. She is, and so she's focused on America's future on the global stage. How can we survive and thrive? And how can we ensure we're investing in the right technologies? She's also rebuilding the department, the Department of Commerce. She's hiring up very talented people. I'm very, very impressed. And it's such, such a pleasure to see a Rhode Islander helping to set the national agenda. It's nothing but good for the ocean state. So uh, look, I thought, I figured you'd be going with her. Um, and uh, I was a little surprised to see you decide to stay on for a bit in the McKee administration. I presume you're not allowed to announce yourself if you're taking a Biden administration job, but do you see yourself, you know, is this a short time transition period you stay on with Governor McKee, or could you see yourself staying longer? I, I could see myself saying, myself saying longer. What I, what I would say is there hasn't been time to just stop and figure out new options. Um, of course, there have been a, a variety of conversations, but I would say this. Working with Mo, uh, Governor McKee has been a real pleasure. He has really honored me and some of my colleagues in the cabinet with bringing us right in, and my expectations were high, but he's, he's far exceeded them, I think we've exceeded them, in how closely we work, how exceptionally strong the effort is to get vaccinations going and keep the economy it, I going. I have to ask you, was it hard at all to develop a good relationship? He was pretty critical of the small business programs you were running just last year. Well, you know, what's interesting is what people don't see is that he, uh, 
Lieutenant Governor McKee and I always had a very good rapport and behind the scenes always had an open channel of communication because we do share the interest of seeing small businesses and all businesses succeed. So even while there were macro conversations occurring, we were calling each other's cell phones and working out policies, getting the small business grant programs to function well. So in that sense, it's not a surprise, but it's even exceeded expectations. And what I've been pleased to see is that Governor McKee has a keen eye for what's going to work for businesses. We've been uh, incrementally reopening for small businesses and all, uh, and all businesses. We're soon to roll out in the next couple weeks a small business grant program that recaptures the previous CARES Act funding that's available to serve as a bridge to that new federal funding where hopefully we can offer more relief but the rules haven't even come out yet. So all this is going very, very well and I'm, I'm really proud to be part of it under Go Governor McKee. You know, uh, kind of jumping off that with his focus on small business, small business, and maybe this question is too premature because you don't know yet. Have you gotten a sense toward uh, his philosophy when, philosophy when it comes to growing business in Rhode Island? In other words, um, under the Raimondo administration, um, it, there was a, a heavy focus on government incentives to lure big companies to Rhode Island. Uh, you think Johnson & Johnson, you think Virgin Pulse, those types of deals. Do you see uh, Governor McKee supporting that philosophy moving forward? Yeah, I, I do. What I've observed already is that Governor McKee fully acknowledges that larger businesses have a key role. The small businesses of, of our community are the lifeblood of the economy, and we've got to be mindful of them, especially in the midst of the COVID crisis. But he points out that you know he helped to promote and enable a CVS expansion in his time as mayor of Cumberland. Um, he also has of a very strong business community connections up and down the economy and has been seeking more. So we've recently had meetings together with the Partnership for, for Rhode Island, uh, which is anchored by the chair, Tom Lawson uh, uh, of FM Global and run by Tom Giordano. And we're talking with larger businesses too about what do they need? What's their hiring pace? I think the velocity of hiring back up and returning to the office could be very strong if the vaccination strength itself remains there. So we're having those conversations and Governor McKee's very interested in those. Just 30 seconds, um, where do things stand with the big Pawtucket soccer stadium project, which you're a big part of? Uh, we're so pleased that the master plan and rezoning are done. The financial framework was ironed out right at the cusp of the transition from, from Governor Raimondo to Governor McKee. So all the pieces are in place and now the, the Brett Johnson and the team are out there raising funds. So very positive. Yeah, and they have to raise 240 million, I think. Do you have a sense? Sounds of right. Yeah. Okay. Do you know where they are in that fundraising? They're, they're heavily in the process. You know, these developments that I just described are quite recent, but they're out there in the market, and I believe getting very good signs. And I think also as the world returns to big events, to sporting activity in the outdoors, they're going to be the ones who are among the first out of the gate ready to produce a project. So it's a very good sign. Rhode Island Commerce Secretary Stephen Pryor, thank you so much for joining us on thank the program. Thank you, Tim and Ted. Such a pleasure. When we come back, Ted and I break down a very busy week in news. Stay with us. You're watching Newsmakers. Welcome back to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White alongside 12 News Politics editor Ted Nisi. Ted, the long wait is over after a somewhat bizarre process. Governor Dan McKee picked the state's lieutenant governor, Providence City Council President Sabina Matos. Here's a little from the announcement earlier this week. In selecting a lieutenant governor, I was looking for someone to be true to governing, a governing partner, someone who shares my commitment 
to supporting our 39 cities and towns and our small businesses. And that's exactly what I found in Sabina. As the first Afro-Latina woman nominated to this post, I'm grateful to the governor's commitment to diversity and inclusion. I look forward to working with him to further that vision for all Rhode Islanders upon my confirmation. That's Sabina Matos, uh, Governor McKee's pick for Lieutenant Governor. Of course, Ted, she's not instantly Lieutenant Governor. She needs the right. advice and consent of the Senate. Do we have, we're taping on a Friday morning. Do we have a sense? No, I haven't seen any announcement yet on the schedule. I think it's a fairly foregone conclusion that she'll be easily yep. confirmed. Um, her, her the pick was met with praise in the General Assembly. Uh, it's a history-making one. Uh, she's only the second woman. Uh, she will be only the second woman to Liz serve Roberts. as lieutenant governor. Elizabeth Roberts was the first. Right. And, of course, the first woman of color, person of color ever to serve as lieutenant governor. So, uh, you know, Frank, I think he's going to start to treat her as lieutenant governor. Uh, although she was at a province city council Zoom meeting last night. I saw Steph Machado report <laughs> that. So she's wearing both hats. Um, McKee got a little prickly uh, when he was asked if this pick was geared at benefiting him politically. Yes, and that happens sometimes, and it's a little cute because I don't care what po politicians are in politics. It's almost they shouldn't be insulted when we ask about the politics of their well, decisions. What, t talk about what's <laughs> behind the question. Why? Why do some people think that Sabina Matos was, uh, you know, him looking ahead for his run to governor? Well, look, I think you know there were he was under pressure to pick a woman. First of all, there was a, early on, even before the. Uh, transition began, the State House assumed it was James Deosa, period, mm -hmm. the former Central Falls mayor. He was close to Dan McKee uh, when they were both mayors, uh, a young Latino male, etc. They thought, you know, is he would have been a pick that diversified the state, state officers. But, you know, I think people started to say, wait a minute, you know, that would leave one woman across the nine statewide and federal offices. Secretary Nellie Yeah, Bobea. and you saw people start to speak out about the need to, to pick a woman. And then I think McKee also just started to think more broadly. And, uh, you know, Matos is from uh, Providence. She's uh, an Afro-Latina, she just said, from Providence. Latino vote, very important. I mean, the, Dan McKee's strength in South Providence is a big reason he defeated Aaron Regenberg by 2,000 votes and is now the governor of Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I think he's looking at that. I also think McKee... Uh, knows, you know, Gene Raimondo was kind of was a very big personality and, you know, kind of filled the filled the scene. I think Dan McKee thinks having a force multiplier with a person who's seen as his proxy the way Karen Polito is for Charlie Baker, I think he thinks will be helpful the next two Last years. thought on this uh, topic here. You know, there's been some talk about moving Rhode Island to a combined ticket like mm. Massachusetts has, like when folks vote for the president uh, right now, vote separately for governor and lieutenant governor. Even if that doesn't happen, um, and so the ticket is still split. Could you see them running together? I assume they will. I don't know to what extent if the signs will be McKee Matos or it won't be quite that official, but absolutely. I mean, the, the whole point, I mean, Dan McKee has been, gotten to do what most governors do not in Rhode Island, which is choose his lieutenant governor. This is part of the reason the lieutenant governor is not usually close to governors because they just both happen to run the same year and win. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'd expect, unless something goes haywire, I'm sure that I know the plan is to make Sabina Matos a prominent figure in his administration, even though she will technically hold an independent office. You were in New Bedford this week to meet up with Senator Elizabeth Warren, uh, and you asked Senator, since she's been in Washington so much, she is also, of course, running for president, does she feel connected with the people of Massachusetts? Here's her answer. You know, I have been in this fight alongside Congressman Keating and alongside Senator Markey to make sure that throughout this pandemic, resources were coming right here to this community, to New Bedford, 
to the region and to the Commonwealth as a whole. Uh, we've worked hard, for example, to make sure that there's adequate money for our community health centers uh, so they could keep their doors open and so that people could continue to receive the medical care that they need. We've worked hard, for example, to make sure that those checks are coming directly into people's hands uh, all across uh, New Bedford and all across the region. Now, each of us has a job to do. The mayor does a wonderful job. Uh, our state legislators are out there doing hard work. Our job in Washington is to try to get the resources together to help out in a time of crisis and to try to get the resources in place to make the investments to build a stronger future for this country, to fight for a fair taxing system and also fight for a fair distribution right here in New Bedford. So that's the fight I've been in for nine years now since I was elected to the Senate. Your Massachusetts constituents after running, being all over the country and everything? I've been right here and I feel deeply connected to the people of Massachusetts. Um, and deeply grateful to the people of Massachusetts who took a chance on someone who had never run for public office before back in 12, who backed me again in 2018 to stay in the United States Senate. I am grateful that they have sent me to Washington to fight on their behalf, and I try to honor their faith in me every single day. Senator Elizabeth Warren answering uh, Ted's questions there in New Bedford. And I was with you in the Target 12 office when the advisory came in, and you were surprised to see that Warren was going to be in New, New Bedford. And this is because this is an area of the state that really, that often feels, I should say, neglected by yeah. elected officials. Uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren, I looked back, I, part of why it surprised me because she hadn't been, she, of course she's the Massachusetts senator, but between running for president and COVID, I couldn't remember the last time she was in person in our region. And I look back, it was a pre-election rally in 28, November 2018. Yeah. Oh, wow. when she was running for her second term, which, of course, she won. And, uh, you know, this is something we've been spending time on. You know, it's part of why we did the Kennedy-Markey debate last year, because, uh, you know, I'm from Bristol County, Massachusetts. That's where I grew up. And there is a feeling that that part gets ignored. And, frankly, you know, part of part of what I think the media has to do is, is sort of, you know, make sure the senators know we notice, you know, whether they're spending all their time in Boston or wherever else, or if they're they're getting down here and, and talking to people on the ground. So, but that said, I think Elizabeth Warren's people, I talked to some of her staff, you know, the, things have between, I'm sure she would have done a lot more around Massachusetts last year without COVID, you know, to reconnect. And they're kind of doing that now uh, in the, as the things with the virus get a little better. And she, of course, didn't had a recess this week. So she was up here. Ted's got your back, Bristol County. That's what you need to know there. All right, shifting gears, North Providence. Uh, Ted, you and I reported that a high-paid North Providence town mm. employee, Maria Valley, was getting two salaries for working both as a town controller and finance director thanks to a combined salary, her longevity pay, and a one-time payout from a union settlement. She took home $181,000 in fiscal 20. I talked to Mayor Charles Lombardi about this bizarre arrangement, uh, and no exchange from that interview got more reaction than this one. Take a listen. There's not one evening here, Tim, and you could come here that she's not here until like 5, 5.30, so she gets the job done. Gets the job done, and then I uh, I went on to ask him, say, hey, a lot of people work to 5 or 5.30, <laughs> you know, uh, why, why is she any different? Um, first of all, you know, just let's kind of open the curtain a little bit on our reporting for this one. Just getting to the bottom of her compensation, which which sounds like it should be an easy task, was 
really, it took months. Yeah, when we got the original tip, I came to I said, this is an interesting story and it you know, shouldn't take a lot of time because it seemed like pretty simple. People told us that there was a weird double salary situation. You just pull the payroll and you get the information. But you, you, know, you actually ran the ball a lot on the public records fights because you're partly because you're on the New England First Amendment Council, you know that stuff. Mm -hmm. And the amount of requests we had to put in to, to get the actual payroll data in a form that an average person could understand so we could see what was going on was quite challenging. We spent on and off six months on this uh, trying to get to the point where we had the information we could tell people what was going on. And I think perhaps that's partly because they weren't excited to have all this, uh, these numbers out in public. Sure. And, you know, that said, uh, credit to Mayor Lombardi. When Target 12 calls him, it's, you know, we don't do feature stories. It's, it's usually, uh, you know, we're taking a critical look at something, but he has always made himself available. And mm -hmm. that was, you know, that was, I would say, a tough interview. Uh, I heard him. people, I had people say to me last night, they, they did not think the salary business was appropriate when they heard about it, but they also gave him credit for standing there, taking questions and frankly not trying to spin it, just saying, yep, this is this is something I support because I implemented it. Real quick, the union uh, management arrangement is sort of eyebrow raising to be both management finance director and in the union controller. Uh, and Lombardi said there's a few people in uh, town uh, government that, that have that arrangement. Yeah, you have to think they're gonna look at that. Yeah, and I looked back, Tim, actually, as we were working on this, and I'll say briefly, the Valley Breeze, which of course does great reporting up in North Providence, pointed out years ago, part of why um, Maria Valley, the last time she left being finance director because she was in trouble, uh, when she went back to controller, it's a union job and she had union protection. So that's part uh -huh. of the reason she's still there, I think. All right. Well, if you missed that uh, investigation, it's under the Target 12 banner on uh, WPRI.com. Finally, Ted and I would like to take a moment and thank our producer for the last two years of Newsmakers and in Target 12, Hannah Dickinson. This is her last show uh, on Newsmakers, and it is hard to work for us, especially this guy over here. <laughs> Hannah's going on to be uh, an educator, a teacher, uh, and we both know she's going to be great. Hannah, good luck to you, and thank you for all your hard work in Target 12 and on Newsmakers. And Ted and I will see you next week. Happy Easter, everyone. See you next week on Newsmakers.